Hey everybody, welcome back to the College Football Uncensored Podcast brought to you by Saturday Down South. I'm your host, Tyler Huck, and with me as always, Chris Marler. Chris, how you doing tonight, buddy? Good. If tired. Um, we got to figure out a better solution instead of having, like, we have a great interview at the end of this episode with uh, our, our buddy and pal, um, and just overall, I mean, like, I don't know, like, 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 what did he say he was, like a ray of sunshine or sunshine pumper sunshine pumper yeah yeah um chris phillips from the spurs up show but uh we just we got into talking about some south carolina football i'm tired man <laughs> that was a lot of south carolina talk but for good reason we wanted to have yeah. him on because it was a great season for them um as promised we wanted to we were bringing you a lot of content this week mm-hmm. um so we recorded last night. We talked a little bit about the two major games, the two playoff games that will give us the championship of Alabama, Georgia. But we did want to take a pod to have its own uh, review of some of the games that we weren't able to to cover due to me having COVID and being sick and all that. So um, let's just pop into it. Where do you want to start? So um, I think I put it in the doc, right? Did I? I think I actually did this one correctly. Okay, I didn't even um, I didn't even check the doc. Look at you. That's, I mean, that's probably with good reason. Okay, here's what I have in here. Let's see. Let's start with, we already did news resolutions, um, bowl opt-outs. We can talk about the Matt Corral thing or we can save it for later, but let's get into the bowl recaps and, and we can start with um, just an overall, like, we'll, all right, we'll, we'll briefly go over some of the, the pre-New Year's Eve bowls. Um because you know it's one it's been a while and uh and outside of tennessee one there weren't that many great ones uh just to be honest but looking at the um the matt corral thing real quick do you have any issue with him the like the opt-out thing i'm 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 nervous to see this be like a whole thing from now on where he's gonna be like this fucking poster child of of why you should opt out and why you shouldn't play in a bowl game because he was so outspoken about why he wanted to play in it and you see him get hurt good news is like the injury is not nearly as severe as they thought um what are your thoughts on that? Because I know it's a, it's a, a hot topic right now. It's my favorite store. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... The, <laughs> nice hot topic reference. Um, no free ads, though. Um, I don't know if the the fan base aligns with with the hot topic. Maybe, maybe oh, they I'm do. sure it does. Um, I, we may have talked about this last night, but, you know, I could kind of see, you know, Herb Street took a lot of heat for what he said about these players not loving the game, and I could see where he's coming from. Um but honestly, I mean, the, the game has changed. I, I don't like it either, but it, it's just, it's not that I don't like these kids to get paid because I, I, I clearly think they should, but I just don't like where it's headed, where this is, I think this is going to be a case study of, man, you know, you just, you don't, we talked about this last night, how bowl wins don't necessarily, in my opinion, carry over to the next year. And it's just kind of a, an exhibition game in a sense. There's some pride there, but outside of that, you know, a little bit of maybe incentive for the conference if you win games, I think. But outside of that, you know, there's not a huge incentive for these players that are high round picks potentially to play in these games. And that will be the case study number one, especially now that NIL is in place. And I think it's probably going to be more commonplace for these these athletes to be surrounded by agents slash managers slash whatever you want to call them. There's going to be a lot of people yes. in these kids' corners saying, hey, look what happened to Corral. You know, I don't think it's going to affect his draft status, honestly. So maybe at the end of the day, it won't be a case study, but I just think people will point to that and see, oh. say, this is what could happen. We got you locked in in a top two round pick. Like, there's no sense risking it. And I, right. I do think of eventually 
whether the, the playoffs expand or not, um, you'll see somebody opt out of a playoff game. I really do. Yeah, and we won't. I don't know about that. I still think that's crazy. I, I do remember now that we did talk about this last night, so that's good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also, so like, it, real briefly, like briefly, we're not going to get into it here, but they did have, um, I think on Fine Bomb today, they were talking about they had discussions with the playoff committee met um, early December. That twelve team playoff is not looking like it's going to be a thing just at all. They cannot. Mm-hmm. All the parties involved cannot decide on anything, which is shocking. Like, you know, and we should have never fucking even expected them to based off what we saw from the Big Ten and Pac-12 last year during COVID and, and, and them trying to derail the whole fucking season. Um, we won't get too much into that. The biggest news of today, we're recording this on Monday night, Caleb Williams, who yeah. we you heard it here first, is terrible on the road, is apparently hitting the road uh, and leaving Norman because he doesn't think that the skeleton man Brent Venables is going to do his career, um, I don't know, justice and, and doesn't like his options of, of possibly getting to the NFL. He's going to explore his options. Now, I'll tell you this. This was like apparently one of the worst kept secrets in, in terms of um, him hitting the portal uh, amongst like college football media. This, this has been like, you know, in the works apparently for, for several weeks now. Um, I've been hearing this for several days before he announced it, that Georgia – is is possibly the leader of where he's going to go. I know that they finished second in his recruitment out of high school, okay. which was only uh, last year because yeah. he's just a freshman. Um, but I think you're starting to see some of that be walked back, actually. Um, Good. Rusty Mansell from 247, uh, Dogs 247 came out and said he doesn't, he's not hearing anything about that happening. Now, maybe they're trying to keep it under wraps, but... Um, then someone else from 247, actually, I was just reading before we started uh, that UCLA and Caleb are like, have mutual interest in each other, which would be a shock to me. Um, Didn't Dylan Gabriel just go there? So Dylan Gabriel, upon this news, announced he's decommitting from UCLA and going to Oklahoma now. Shut up. That's not real. God. No, Wait, are you played- serious or kidding? No, I'm serious. He played for Lebby at UCF. He was actually going to go to Ole Miss. Then Lebby left Ole Miss, and he wasn't going to go to Oklahoma because Caleb Williams was there. So he went to UCLA. You're not technically – there's no, like, um, not NIL, but NLI, National Letter of Intent, you sign when you're a transfer. So you just – you're locked in when you show up and you're on the team. He was supposed to enroll at UCLA today. This news drops. He doesn't. Now he's committed to Oklahoma. It's unreal. <laughs> Yeah. That I didn't know. I didn't know any of that. Yeah. Um, I, I heard it here first too. Look at us just breaking news to meet to the other hosts of the show. Right. Um, yeah. That's that's kind of crazy. I don't, I, I don't know. You know the, the UGA stuff just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I, well, I was hearing it from UGA fans that were getting it. I'm sure from fucking message boards. Probably putting two and two together. I think you're going to see a lot of uh, a trend in the in the future. Will be if something doesn't work out for uh, like a a first year for some kid and he wants to transfer, you're going to see him probably consider the team that was the runner up. If it's just, he's just one year removed from his recruitment, but man, look at that QB room. You've got, you know, obviously Stetson, but then you've got JT Daniels, you've got Carson Beck, you've got Brock Vandergriff as a five star, five star. You've got uh, Gunnar Stockton, who's coming in as a five star for Caleb Williams to go there. I feel like at least three of those kids would leave. So the rumor I heard was, I mean, there's Carson Beck has to be gone after this year. There's no way he has yeah. ever has a chance of starting. Um, and the other part of it is to, uh, 
And plus, Carson Beck looks like fucking Marv um, when he got electrocuted in uh, in Home Alone too. Um, but the other part of like what I was hearing was that he uh, Brock Vandergriff is a, like rumored that he would leave and go to Auburn potentially. I don't know. It doesn't matter either way. We're not going to get into it. I, like, what's the connection? Is there a reason? I don't. know. I mean, he Brock Vandergriff does sound like an Auburn kid. That guy. He sounds does, like a fucking sound SAE like, yeah. that has just like, been there for like five and a half years and just knows everyone. Hey Brock, the pledges are coming over tonight. Hell yeah! They fucking brother. better. They already. They should already be here, man. Get the paddle. Um. All right, let's get into the bowl games. Uh, briefly, we'll just go through. You the doc open? I do. Okay, so we'll just go through some of the um, the early games. Not a great start for the SEC. Uh, you know, we we don't strictly cover the SEC in this podcast, but we do. Um, starting out zero and four. Uh, and then starting out one and five to much to the chagrin of a lot of people around the, the country. Um, Dustin Schutte, Danny Cannell, you have a smile on your face right now. Um, Emmanuel Acho was the one that pissed me off more than anything. I texted DK on New Year's Eve because he like he he had some tweet. It was like three and five, like the SEC is now three and five. And I texted him. <laughs> he, and I was loves, like, he absolutely loves to troll. I, he's great at it. Yeah. Um, but I texted him and I was like, it's actually, they're going to be three and six because they're going to take an L in the, in the natty. Right. Um, but Emmanuel Acho was the one that pissed me off more than anything, because when he got on that fucking high horse uh, where he was explaining how Georgia, we only think Georgia's good because we were already, you know, preconditioned to think they were good because they're in the sec. And he starts talking about how, you know, they played Arkansas who was ranked number eight in the country. Now they're not in the top 20 and they're fucking ranked 21st. Like, it, it just that whole thing was so fucking ridiculous. I love watching him get dragged, but the SEC starts out one and five. I'll ask if you were surprised, but bef- before I, you give me your answer, I, I just want to say it. And I, I hate making excuses because, and I love watching Auburn lose, but a lot of those games, I don't know why the SEC was necessarily favored. I mean, there was, there were a lot of bad matchups there, like the Army Mizzou game. I thought UCF was a better team uh, and, and possibly the program was in a better state than Florida's was at, at that point in time. Um, I don't know what happened in the Mississippi state game, but, but Auburn getting the Birmingham bowl and drawing the number 20 team in the country to play for that butt naked uh, bearded of Zeus trophy, which was incredible. To be to fair watch. though, that is basically a home game for them. Yeah. They actually traveled pretty well. I heard that. Well, also I, and I tweeted this like, what I was hearing from the team was one of the reasons they started out so slow is because they're, they're they were fatigued because they all rode their bikes down to the stadium. No, okay. okay. I thought that was a good. I thought it was a good burn. <laughs> I don't all even right. get it. I don't even what? Get it. <laughs> you know what? Fucking take over, Tyler. I'm going to drink my own sweet tea. Anyway, we go into the playoff or the uh, the the semifinals or whatever we talked about yesterday. Tennessee-Purdue was the first real game I think we should even talk about. I think, um, like, what were your thoughts on the way that game ended? I thought it was one of the best bowl games of of the entire postseason. Oh, it was just an incredible game to watch. Um, You know, Hendon Hooker, I'm I'm excited to watch him next year, by the way. I mean, five touchdowns in this game, passing. Um, He was off. He was, like, a little bit off. He wasn't as accurate as he usually is. Yeah, I mean, his 26 for 41. 378, five touchdowns. Then you look across the field, Aiden O'Connell, 
26 for 47, so actually worse, but 534 yards and five touchdowns. Also the three picks. Without his best um, receiver. Incredible game to watch. It's just kind of like it's it's it reminds you of what modern football is becoming. It's just these offensive shootouts. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the controversy there at the end, which, you know, I think there's definitely an argument there for Tennessee, but it's probably not as egregious as everyone wanted to make it out to be, too. It is. It's the way the rule is written. It, like, it wasn't like, you know, the Arkansas-Auburn game last year where it was like, okay, you just watched Bo Nix pick up the football from under his center's gooch and then turned around and, and fumbled it, and they didn't do anything. This was just right. like, all right, well, you, they didn't blow the whistle in time or some shit. Like, well, I mean, I didn't think it was as egregious like you said. Yeah, I mean, part of the issue is you had 14 penalties if you're Tennessee. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I don't know. And and Heupel, you know, obviously people were questioning his play calling down the stretch there a bit. Um, but I, I kind of go back to what I said before this game even happened, which is if you're a Tennessee fan, I mean, we, we're later in this show, we'll talk to Chris Phillips about South Carolina, but I, I think both those programs have an argument to have – some of the most excitement coming from where you went from last year to where you ended the season this year going into next year and what the future looks like for both these programs. I think both fan bases got to be very excited. I don't think anything changes there. I mean, obviously it was, it was fun to see Tennessee put up points like that. They're only going to get better as Hypel gets his players in there. Um, getting Hinden hooker back for another year is going to be great, great for mm-hmm. them to, to, to maintain that momentum, but this was, this is what, you know, it's so funny. Danny Cannell, who's a friend of the show and a great guy, you know, oh, yeah. took a lot of heat for, for bitching about how many bowls were there were. And, and he immediately was bitching about how bad that Virginia tech Maryland game was because it seemed like Virginia tech didn't care. And he was like, Oh, this is a waste. And then this bowl happened and it was like the perfect bowl to just be like, Danny, you know what? This is why bowl season is awesome and why there should be more bowls because that game yeah. was fantastic. What were your it thoughts? It really was. You know, and I think that, like, you, you brought up the point about how, how good of a job that Hypel, I said it, I'll say it later in the show too, um, Hypel, Pittman, um, Beamer, how good of a job they've done at turning these programs around that were in really bad shape, right? Um, it, it, and I was going to say it almost seems like it, it didn't take that long, but then you start thinking about it and it's like, you know, it did. It took, I mean, like Tennessee has been kind of in the doldrums for a while now. Um, it, but it, it, it has been really fun to watch all of all three of these programs kind of like get their, their swagger back, you know? Um, and, and I'm, like you said, like I'm, I'm really looking forward to next year. I don't, I don't know if I want to live in a world, especially with what's going on in my Twitter right now, um, where Tennessee is necessarily back, but I'm excited for like those fans that like that finally after such like a long, long, um, I guess delay and any kind of success, they're they're finally getting a, a little bit of a taste of it again. Yeah, you, things have been going on on Twitter right there with the with the Tennessee. Bro, I said one positive thing about fucking Arkansas and Kentucky, and their fans freaked out. And I'm not going to get into it. I was I in no way was I saying that Tennessee fans aren't passionate, but I've never said that at all. I've said a lot of bad things about their fans, and they're doing a really good job right now of showing why they are the worst. Um, but yeah, like I, I my favorite. Our least favorite thing from all that was 
one person, I think her name was like Christy, who was obviously smarter than every other person in the comments was like, actually, that's exactly how the English language works is when you use two adjectives to describe how, well, and I was like, and she lays out this very eloquent and smart, like she made a very good point, even though that's not what I was intending to do at all. And right. then she basically just said your grammar sucked. Right. And then watching the Tennessee fans that, that like, that went and liked that tweet, even though I knew they had no fucking idea what she was talking about. And that wasn't why they reacted that way. It was like, yeah, it's because you use those two adjectives, dude. I guarantee you 84% of those fans and most SEC fans don't know what a fucking adjective is. Do you know what an adjective is? I do, Chris. What is it? It describes something. It's a describer. Like yeah. you are Which one? How many? Aloof. What kind of? Did you not have a song? We did a song. No. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, it was a the Tennessee game. Um, bitter end, but obviously great game to watch uh, as a fan. I think even as a Tennessee fan, you had fun watching that game. Yeah. Um, then we move over to the uh, January 1st Bulls. Yeah. Another great slate. Uh, obviously, the non-SEC game, Ohio State, Utah, was a fantastic game. Could have ended better, but yeah. A game that kind of flies in the face of what we were talking about with the opt-outs. Like, man, it just it's, it, it ruins kind of the, the product when some of the top guys opt out. Well, that Ohio State game, I felt like half their team was opted out. And it was still a great game. Abe and, and what's his name? Garrett, uh... Garrett Wilson. They're both out. So you have Marvin Harrison Jr. come in. He has three touchdowns. I think he had like five catches all year, they said. Then he ends up having three touchdowns in that game. Jackson Smith and Jigbo. I'm glad. Yeah, I was not going to try to pronounce his name. Um, (laughs) It scares me. Fantastic. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, He's going to be one of the leaders for the Heisman next year. That dude is amazing. Him and CJ Stroud are going to be really fun to watch as much as I hate Ohio state. They're going to, yeah. and then you also think, I don't, I'm not going to get into it, but now you start thinking about, they have the fucking Henderson at running back. Like they're going to be, yeah, they're going to be legit again fun. next year. Um, no, that was a great game. It, the Utah story. I didn't realize the ins and outs of that story until I, I, I watched the game day special about it. That was fucking devastating. Wait, I, I don't know which, which one I didn't have like the audio their, on the whole time. Oh, good. One of their players, um, accidentally shot and killed himself they're running back oh earlier this year yeah or like last christmas or something like that yeah i do remember that yeah that's yeah. insane man Jeez. yeah well so they, 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 they played had, fantastic um, that was a great game it really was they they had like so i was watching it at the house and it was like 14 to 7 right and i was like you know what i'm gonna go up to taco mac i'm gonna like you know kick off my new year with with a terrible diet um and i drove up there and it's like literally fucking seven minutes away and I pull up and it's 28 to 21. And I was like, what the fuck could I have missed? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like you said, incredible game. That was a lot of fun Go- going back to the sec slate. This was my favorite stretch during bowl season. I think because there were new year's day is the best day of college football besides opening weekend every year. And the Rose bowl always fucking delivers. Um, fun fact. I looked this up too. This is sad, but uh, I'm pretty sure our wedding registry is still up. Um, and mm. we did something that's like a uh, where you, people could just donate money to something, and the first thing on there is, "I want to go to the Rose Bowl." So, guys, I think that's that website is still up. Google, um, 
I don't know what it would be. And then, and you know, donate some money so I can go to the Rose Bowl this year. <laughs> Is your bank account linked or you don't want people no. erroneously depositing to other oh, yeah, folks? That's a good point. She's probably still in charge of that too. So yeah, you know what guys, yeah. don't do that. Just, just send me money. Um, no. So like Rose Bowl always delivers, but then some of those other games uh, to start off the day, especially on the heels of what we saw from the semifinals, where the SEC can like starts coming back a little bit, like the like the Undertaker gif. Um, Kentucky and Iowa, which is a game I would never want to have watched, I don't know, five years ago. Um, that was fantastic. And then the Arkansas-Penn State game, it was really fun watching a team like – I know Arkansas was ranked and they had a better record and everything like that, but I don't think a lot of people thought Arkansas was going to go in there and, and do what they did to that Penn State team. Well, especially defensively. I mean, right. for what Penn State's only put up 10 points. Um, you know, KJ Jefferson, obviously passing, it was a weekday, but man, 110 yards on the ground. I mean, he ran it 20 times. Um, and really the season that he had. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, uh, but talk about Penn State. Remember, like, didn't they get up into the top five at one point this year? Oh, Iowa did. Iowa was number two. Penn State ended seven and six. Yeah. Not great. So everyone, you know, all over, all over, trying to, you know, hire their coach, and he gets James Franklin gets that huge deal. I mean, he went seven and six this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they, that doesn't take away from Arkansas. Them. I mean, Arkansas has again. It, Arkansas was had two wins two years ago. Mm-hmm. And they finished the the year with nine wins. I think their over under for this year was what five? I can go back and look. It was a uh, five and a half. Um, but like, like you said, man, it, and they, they kind of touched on it a little bit, like towards the end of that game, once it, once the outcome was in hand, people really don't under, like, I feel like people have really glossed over with like the, the recent success that they've had under Pittman, how far like buried that program was. This is their first nine win season in a decade to go out there and, and they made it look really easy, man. Like they, they won nine games. And they played Bama and Georgia, both on the road. You know, like they they were just an incredible job by Pittman all year. But it was really fun to watch the fact that like he he did a really good job of kind of he always does a great job of staying in the moment and kind of realizing the moment, right? Like where he understands how important all this stuff is as it's happening and and like the the things that they're doing, they're special. It's I mean, it's an eight and four season, which a lot of you know fan bases might look down on that is an incredible turnaround from the fact that they were getting fucking embarrassed by Colorado state at home a couple of years ago under Chad Morris. And now, you know, you, you basically own the state of Texas. You have all these trophies you get to go home with. Um, I just, I thought it was, I thought it was awesome, man. And, and to watch those, those COVID seniors like Grant Morgan, um, it's one of the Henry's uh, and then, Bumper pool. Bumper pool also fucking murdered somebody on live television during that game. <laughs> yeah, great. I mean, it's just great for this, the future of Arkansas. I, I think um, the only reason I don't even I didn't list them with Tennessee and South Carolina fans is that they they had like three upsets last year. Like they were trending, and then they just took another step, another big step this year. Fans really got to be excited about where that program's headed. No doubt. Yeah, agreed. Um. Also, you've shot out our boy entire statement about about bowl games like seven times so far because of uh, 
of how great and how significant those those bowl games were to these these teams. Just the seasons. Tennessee lost their bowl game. Well, that's also true. Okay. <laughs> Um, got to shout out our boy Wendell Robinson. Wendell went the fuck off, huh? Dude, 170 yards, 10 catches on 13 targets. Um, big play receiver. Yeah, he's been a great addition to Kentucky this year. 10 wins for Kentucky. Look at the SEC East this year. Kentucky finished second, man. Kentucky finished second in the East, and also you talk about that's their second 10 win season. I think it's their fourth 10 win season in the last like. 40, 50 years, it's their, it's their second in the last four years under Mark Stoops. That's awesome. It's incredible. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you're right. I was ranked higher. If they were 15th, they already had 10 wins. They were number two at one point this year. Um, knew that would be a defensive battle 20 to 17, probably not the most um, visually stimulating game. It's stimulating, Chris. I, uh, I was very aroused when you said it. Um, <laughs> No, that was for me like the end of that game too. Like it, it was, it was kind of cool to see Kentucky flex what what that program has become. Like you know they were they ran the ball effectively all day with Chris Rodriguez. He didn't have any fumbles, but they did it behind a big punishing offensive line. It's almost become kind of like a, a, a staple there. Will Levis looked good um, at times. He did not, but I mean that you know they gave up a, a, a touchdown late to this is going to shock you, an Iowa tight end. Um, who was their best player on offense again? Why don't you? Why don't they just recruit other positions? I don't get it. It's like Auburn with kickers. Like, what? Just go get go recruit all of those people, not just the tight ends. Everybody loves tight end, though. That's fair. Um, anyway, I, I, it was a, a fantastic inning. It was a great game. Um, it was also 109 degrees in the field. Just disgusting for January. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway. Now, before we get to the last game, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Baylor, or I'm sorry, Oklahoma State uh, came back on Notre Dame in a big yeah. way. Not a great look for Marcus Freeman in his first game as coach. But he looked fantastic. Do you see his pecs? We got to get that trending. This guy is a, he's like a male model. It's like yeah. the next Kingsbury. Well, yeah, he's like a black Kingsbury. Yeah. He's like uh I mean he honestly he looks like he should be on The Bachelor. He, uh, he does. And he has he has like eight kids. And he's no, he my, does not. and he's like my age. Okay. Right. That's our age, idiot. Yeah, I know. I like eight, well, eight was a, it was exaggeration, age, but I'm pretty sure he does have five. Really? Yeah, I saw the picture like that was released by Notre Dame when he was announced as coach of his family on the field, and there was uh, four or five kids. I was blown away because I had already learned that he was only 35 years old. Um, I can't imagine. I can barely handle two at this point. Um, so shout out to Oklahoma State. 12-win season for them. 12-2. and 12 wins. I didn't think about that. Um, so let's, let's go to this last game here, Baylor and Ole Miss. This is where a lot of the controversy came, and obviously it really affected the game in general because mm-hmm. Kiffin had to end up throwing out Luke Altmeyer out there and didn't go well for old Luke. No, um, when you're you have an over under of sixty and a half for the game, and and you only score seven points, clearly things did not go the way that many people thought they would, and that's what happens when you lose a guy like Corral who's that dynamic. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to take much from this game when you got to throw a true freshman quarterback out there who wasn't clearly ready to play. 
Uh, and I don't want to take away from Baylor because they've been really good all year, especially on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it Ole Miss finished the season. I, I was talking to one of my buddies about this, Michael Luker. Shout out to that kid. Um, he's 18, by the way. He's a freshman at Ole Miss. And he is just living it up on Bourbon Street all week. Um, all week? Gave us an invite down there. I did not make it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he said he had a blast besides the game. He said he saw more boobs than he'd ever seen in his life. Hopefully his, his well, girlfriend's yeah. not listening. Also, he got his, his seats upgraded from some shit and got to be, like, in the, in the front row or something like that. But, no, he was he brought this up beforehand. He's like, I'm going to hammer the over, right? And I was like, no, like, Baylor's defense is really good. And also Ole Miss, I think they held five of their last six opponents under 20 points. This also might be breaking news to you, but Jimbo hired DJ Durkin. Jesus They're Christ. Ole Miss's defensive coordinator. The guy who but it looked somebody? like, I, I should say, that it's early reports. that it's not, it's not done yet, but that's what looks like it's trending in that direction. Wow. The fact that that guy still has a job is just mind-blowing. Yeah, but he did, I, despite his past... Um, and murdered somebody and never forget that Jimbo does not care about anything off the field. Um, but, uh, despite his off the field antics of murder, uh, he did a great job with that defense this year. I mean, coming from where they came last year into the, you know, towards the end of the year, they started playing a really good defense. Yeah. So unfortunately for them, he's gone now. So probably. Yeah. Um, no, I, 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 so to be a thousand percent honest, man, I that game started at like fucking nine fifteen or something. Yeah, I, I was. We were gonna watch it together, and I started realizing how late it was before the game had even started. And I was like, I, "Yeah, this I is." I knew not- before you even said anything that you weren't gonna come over and watch the game. I was offering to go over to your place to watch it, um, but it really? didn't work out. Yeah, that's what I was trying to do. Um, <laughs> Should have just been more overt. Well. <laughs> Um, no, it, I mean, it worked out for the best because I went to bed, like, I don't know, roughly 17 minutes later. So, uh, I just, you know, Ole Miss, like, I, I think you, t- you brought up a good point about how the, the freshman they, they brought in was kind of thrown into the fire. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people kind of look at that and be like, well, why wouldn't he be getting reps or something like that? Just, you know, like have somebody prepared, like if at all times, I don't know, like a, a lot of times. In a game like this, I think we all expected Peter Burns, and I talked about this um, beforehand. It was like we kind of expected Corral to throw for fucking 800 yards, right? Like his like mm-hmm. big send off that he was just going to absolutely torch this Baylor defense, and him and you know Kiffin would have had something special up their sleeve. And to see that kind of derailed, that sucked. But it was still um, an incredible career, and not enough. It was cool to see Kiffin be that actually invested into something besides himself yeah right yeah he seemed, they seem like they had a good relationship yeah and it'll be interesting to see where almost goes from here you know I, I previously mentioned it looks like they're losing their d coordinator they're obviously losing corral jerry and ely came out and said he's going pro wait now what? i did yeah now i did see a hot rumor today that zach evans is transferring to Ole Miss. that's a good move so he, that would be a pro in football Jerry and Ely. I thought I saw it on Twitter today, so let me just uh, let me just double check. Because he was a projected first round pick in in baseball coming out of high school. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and a lot of people don't, never thought he would play at all. Yeah, announces plans. This is from. I don't know if the site is reputable, but it's Saturday Down South. Um. Yeah, Jerry and Ely uh, foregoing senior year declaring for the 2022 NFL draft. 
not a deep running back class. We don't need to get into it, but I mean, like that's like yeah, that kind of surprised me. I mean, I didn't think he had like a stellar year. I actually thought he's gonna be a lot better. Yeah, agreed. But um, at least he didn't opt out. You know what I mean? True, very true. Uh, also, you know what? Usually, like we would try to be professional and wrap this up in a in a very, I don't know. Um, I don't even know the word I'm trying to fucking use right now. Dan just texted us and said he doesn't want to stay up late, so we got to wrap this up. All right, well, let's wrap it up. We, we got a lot of content the rest of the week. Yeah, we got to figure all that out, too. Um, all right, yeah, well, you 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 give them the send-off, then. All right, guys, well, we appreciate you tuning in. As always, go follow us on Twitter, at Tyler Huck, at Vern Funquist, and at CFB underscore uncensored. Real quick, real quick, one thing. I do want to give a shout-out to Tristan uh, Smith from the Facebook group who sent me a Christmas gift today. Um, and if anybody that has listened to the podcast, as you guys all know, I've, I've said this um, pretty much uh, ad nauseum, please don't send me Corgi shit because it makes me sad when I have to think about the Corgis. Um, so Tristan sent me a, a Christmas package with, um, Tyler, I'll just go ahead and tell you, two uh, wall hangings um, that are Tennessee themed. One says, um, Dreaming of a Tennessee championship with an exclamation point. Um, the other one just says Tennessee Vols. It's some sort of metal work. Uh, and then he also got me a gingerbread house that has a corgi out front. And he said, and I quote, I figured you would like this since you lost both of these things and you could have a piece of your heart back. Nice. Even if you eat it, which was nice. Um he did sign a card over. in here too, which is actually the best part of it was the card. He said, I know you had a rough year, but at least you're not a Georgia fan. Just no days off. And, um, and last but not least, I'm going to show you these. He got me uh, a pair of Corgi um, pajama pants. And they are a size uh, women's double XL. Size 19. So there's that. <laughs> hey, man, it's thought that counts, like I said. Yeah, I'm going to, okay, sure. Anyway, that's the, that's the end of this show and also the <laughs> end of anybody sending uh, gifts to me again, ever, ever, <laughs> ever from the pod. We appreciate you guys listening. Five stars on iTunes. We will see you later this week. All right, we are now joined by one of my favorite people uh, in, this, in this, I don't want to say industry because it makes it sound douchey. Um, but yeah, one of my oldest, my oldest friends i guess in this business now uh i every single time i say your name i fuck it up because i you're saved as bearded tomato in my phone in every single possible uh way that i contact you but chris phillips from the spurs up show how you doing man marler what's going on i don't know if you noticed by the way at the duke's mayo bowl i was rocking the exact same outfit that i was wearing uh, when the Fire Muschamp video was made. Because if you recall, the last time we played UNC at Bank of America Stadium right. was the day of the Beard of Tomato was born. So I was like, it only feels right. The only difference was my black tank had Shane Storm on it, which I think obviously Love made that. the difference for us in the result of the game. But this is college football uncensored, correct? We are yeah, I'm on the right show. Are, man. Okay, That's cool. Well, Marler, it's a fucking pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> and Tyler, what's going on, man? Appreciate you guys having me on, having me on though. Seriously, it's great to talk ball with you guys. Of course, Absolutely. Dude. Um, so Chris does an incredible job from a content standpoint and just also work ethic. What, I mean, whatever you want to say, the you just, you don't, you don't ever stop. Right. Um, and it finally seems like not finally, but it feels like it's like 
kind of paying off all at once now because you have all this momentum, not just with, with your business, your career and everything taken off, but also with everything happening around the South Carolina football program right now. We'll talk about the game. We'll talk about the Spencer Rattler news. We'll talk about the way y'all close out the season. How fucking excited are you for the, and, and as somebody that absolutely hated Will Muschamp, because <laughs> we all know you did. And Marlo, Muschamp, I didn't, I didn't hate Will Muschamp. I just love winning. That's why you always tell people. I don't, I don't hate Will Muschamp. I just love winning. Bro, who are you right. telling? I, I, right. I totally get it. And um, now that, and now, and now he's weaseled his way into playing for a national championship. So I mean, who's really oh, winning, right? Hey, that. I get to make jokes, and he got thirteen million dollars to walk away, and now he's probably maybe going to go get a ring. I know, obviously, you would disagree, but start that shit. Has, at least has the, <laughs> has the chance. Has the chance. What's funny too is that, like, like we talk a lot of shit about. Like, I've said some horrific things about, I think, players, coaches, whoever, right. uh, like on this podcast and like the privacy of my own home. I don't know. Um, Muschamp would watch your videos, yeah, and get all sorts of butthurt about it. Yeah, really? I was blocked by Gamecock football forever. Yeah, until probably the spring of 2021, when finally I had so many buddies on the staff, and I interacted with Beamer and my good friend. It was actually I'll spill the beans. It was Eric Kimry, who's the tight ends coach. Oh, I love Kimry. Pod- yeah, great dude, great dude. I've been on his podcast before though, and uh, he finally just texted me one day. He's like, "Chris, don't make a big deal about it on social media," which I didn't. But he's like, "Don't make a big deal about it." but I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to get you unblocked. And sure enough, like 10 minutes later, we were unblocked across all channels. So that, that was kind of nice. But to, to the question you were asking, man, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a lot more fun to make content when you truly have hope and optimism. And that was the thing over the preseason last year that I genuinely was so excited about because people knew me for so long as the bearded tomato, the fire must champ guy. And while that was such a great, you know, it really was a launching point for the business it got really old being the fire must champ guy and people saying, Oh, you're toxic. You're negative. You're pessimistic. And you know, my buddies joke with me all the time. It's like, dude, you literally built your business around. I mean, I really, when things got going was we went four and eight and two and eight. So you called it too. You were just being completely like objective and realistic about it. And people were rocking with it, man. People still Mm -hmm. do rock with it for that reason, because I'll call it, like I see it. If you suck, you suck. And if you're good, you're good. And uh, you know, I'm glad people really got to see me and are seeing me now as someone that has real hope and optimism in the program and obviously what Shane Beamer is doing speaks for itself but uh, yeah it's been one hell of a ride man and obviously again Shane Beamer has been great for business Beamer ball to the moon and uh, obviously the latest developments for the seven and six season winning the bowl game adding Spencer Rattler Austin Stodner on the portal uh, it feels like Shane Beamer can do no wrong right now man it's 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 absolutely wild so uh, yeah definitely enjoy it definitely enjoy making content around it and uh, yeah like I said it's a lot more fun when you're winning that's for sure I'm going to pat myself on the back here because the Shane Storm thing, I just realized was yeah. my idea. Yeah, that was you. That was you a thousand percent. And I was rocking that tank. So really, I have you to thank for the victory in, in Charlotte. So fuck <laughs> welcome, me, right? I, I, I totally forgot. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, it's been fun to watch you like, you know, I don't want to say like grow and stuff like that because that sounds like a creepy yeah. 50s love song. Um, but like, it, it's been fun to watch how everything's kind of changed with the dynamic of like what you do for for work basically and for the content because you'd sit here and like fans always want to hear that their team's going to win, that their team, that, that their feelings are are valid, that their, their rival sucks, that their team's going to be great. Everything's on the up and up. Everything's trending upward, all that kind of shit. And you would just sit back and be like, listen, we're going to go fucking three and nine. I don't know what else to say right now. We might upset Auburn. And then they would somehow, um, who's the cornerback? Um, JC Horn. Thanks to JC Horn, y'all did upset yeah. Auburn. And it was like this, 
But like, I, I remember talking to some of my, my Carolina friends and they'd be like, man, that guy's like so negative about the program. It's like, well, there's not a lot of positives about the yeah. fucking program right now. Well, and what's so funny, that season we went two and eight, I actually picked us to go three and seven. So I overshot us a little bit, honestly. I was being, right. I guess, a little positive. But what's been so funny, Marler, is, you know, going into this season, I, obviously, again, I've been, you know, very excited with Shane Beamer and the job he's been doing. And I really felt like South Carolina, you know, we obviously knew it was a risk when they first hired him, but I felt like we got our guy. You know what I mean? If you're going to mm-hmm. roll the dice, go get your guy, a guy who had, who had cut his teeth at the program and who had seen it at its best and really believed in what it, what it is and what it could be more importantly. But, you know, I was the guy over the preseason injecting perspective like, hey, it's 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 a first year bunch of coaches with kind of a ragtag roster, if you will. And then Luke Doty goes down and we already knew it was going to be a roller coaster of a season. But so this season was so up and down. You know, one week you you get blasted by Georgia or A&M or beat Vandy by a point and fans are saying, oh, we're terrible. We're not going to win another game. Shane Beamer's in over his head. Then we beat a Florida. Then we beat an Auburn. Oh, Shane like Beamer's the greatest. drum, by the way. Right, right. Shane Beamer's the greatest thing ever. Give him an extension. And I really tried to keep, you know, it's it's more popular to be on one side or the other, like fire the coaches or crown mm-hmm. everybody. I really tried to keep you in the middle. And what was so funny, Marlo, to see things come full circle, when the Muschamp era was here, it was you're negative, you're toxic, you're pessimistic. This season, it was Oh, you're a sunshine pumper. Why are you being so positive? You got mm-hmm. you got to call. You got to be harder on Beamer because we're committing six, seven, eight penalties a game. Like, why are you giving him a pass? I'm like, I, I truly have come full circle. And Marlo, you know as well as I do, when when you when you're getting both sides of the spectrum, it's like a great play by play announcer. When both sides dislike you, you're doing a damn good job. That's how you know. Yeah. Like, like like a All guy like Kirk like me I'm, at times. Right. And I mean, I'm not trying to I know people hate some people hate Kirk Herbstreet, but like he's just an example. But when you're in that position and both sides are irritated with you, it's like I did a damn good job calling that game or your buddies, Tom Hart or Jordan Rogers or Cole. Yeah. Kublick or they I mean, they get it every week. You know, I mean, both sides hate them. So it's like but it was funny to hear like both perspectives. Like I thought I was pessimistic, toxic, negative. Now I'm sunshine pumping. It's right. Like, it, it's it's kind of funny, but uh no, yeah. Well, it's funny right. too. It, you talk yeah. about like the the going into last year. I think it was me and you had this conversation when when we heard that Muschamp was about to get fired like that one Sunday, and the night before they were playing A and M as the forty one to three game, right? Yeah. And and like people calling you toxic or saying like anything about the program because the problem with was the program was toxic. Will Muschamp right. was not doing oh, yeah. anything to like progress that program. Um, and and he was really riding the coattails of that one Georgia victory from twenty. What 19? 19? Yeah. yeah the, so then yeah. like the night before he gets fired, we hear all these like, you know, these stories and rumors from like the press box where they're down by 38 points to AM, just getting fucking manhandled. And one of the biggest boosters in like, you know, at Carolina Ken, is Ken, screaming Ken Long, at Ray supposedly who who gave like 40 million for that ops building. So right. And he's yeah. screaming at the AD, like, you better fix this shit and like in front of everybody, in front of everybody. And <laughs> not, then, like, not gonna know. give not gonna give another cent until he's gone. Tight. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, and you saw it at the end. And, and listen, they're all gamecocks through and through, and or they're gamecocks forever. And so it is what it is. But you really did see it at the end, man. When when he was let go, and it was like players versus coaches versus fans mm-hmm. versus coaches versus play. I mean, just a negative, toxic shit storm. And again, that that's where I really give Beamer the most credit because let's right. give credit where credit's due. He came into a complete shit show. Jesus. And what I was saying going into the season, I was like, you know, there were recruiting successes. There was positive momentum. But the thing that impressed me the most about Beamer was the way he was just able to completely flip the attitude and the optimism and the energy around the program. 
And what I said going into his first season, again, we all wanted to get to a bowl game, get to six and six. That was the goal. And that's what I predicted, actually. I hit it right in the nail on the head, six and six and three and five, pat on the back for me. But beside the point, the biggest goal for Shane Beamer was to get to this point today, Marler, and get to this preseason, this offseason, if you will, with at least the same, if not more, optimism and yeah. positive energy and positive momentum than he had in the honeymoon phase. And sure enough, man, who would have believed it? But we're here. I mean, I think job well done. He's accomplished it. And I, I mean, I think there are a few. I'm not trying to over-exaggerate, but I think there are a few college football programs, Marlon, that have quite as much momentum going into a season, at least at, you know, programs that were in South Carolina shoes. I mean, they've got as much momentum, I think, as anybody going in 2022. Well, you look at it too, and we could we could start wherever you want to, whether it's the recruiting part of the 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 games part of it, because either way it's impressive. But I mean, like you could also make the argument that the the other teams or programs around the country that might have the same amount of enthusiasm and juice right now mm-hmm. are also in the SEC. You talk about Arkansas, you talk about Tennessee, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's been really really fun to watch some of these new coaches come in here and be this successful. I mean, dude, Kentucky just won ten games. I mean, right. and and that's like I wouldn't even include him because it's like you know like that's he's been there forever, right? I mean, right. Like we finally started giving Mark Stoops credit because we have all these like you know this new blood in the uh, in the SEC. South Carolina fans still don't want to give Kentucky credit. No, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we still don't. I don't know how they so. still own y'all. It just blows my mind. Um, but no, I mean, like, so like Beamer, honestly, I was skeptical when he came in because mainly because he looks like he's fucking 28 years old and runs a state farm. Um, and, and super or, nice, or a Chick-fil-A or a Chick-fil-A without a doubt. Um, I mean, super nice dude, just nothing but cordial and, and like a really good guy. Like just, I mean, he DMs us and stuff like that. Even now, yeah. um, after like also, big also dunked on Dennis Dodd recently, which I, I personally oh, thought was great. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag find some joy. Yeah. Dunked <laughs> yeah. on him. But but going into like the season, like you said, my my biggest fear for him was like you said, the honeymoon phase is going to end. They were not going to be able to recruit, and they were not going to be able to compete because of the. Of they I thought the defense would be okay. The quarterback situation was a fucking nightmare, like from the outside looking in. And then somehow he just pieces it all together, and and like to close the season when it's probably you know arguably most important. Um, you know, like we said, have all the momentum in the world. Let's start there, and you talk about like. From a coaching standpoint, what was your most impressive thing you yes. get to see from Beamer and the staff this year, especially because not all the – I mean, the credit can't all go to him, right? I mean, right. from the staff oh, sure. standpoint, well, I, who who stood out? Yeah, I mean, I think he definitely – the thing that stands out, you know, he hit a home run with Clayton White, man. I mean, that mm-hmm. entire defensive staff, what Torian Gray did with the secondary, you know, I, I do – preseason position unit rankings, right? And I'll grade these position units. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm very honest, very blunt. And so when I talked about defensive backs, I, I literally said this might be the worst position unit on the entire football team. I think I graded right. them like a D or a D minus. I mean, yes, you had Cam Smith returning, but you had lost J.C. Horn. You had lost Israel McQuamu, John Dixon, Jamie Robinson. I mean, just totally depleted right. from the NFL and the transfer portal. And that was from a secondary that gave up 260 yards per game under a quote-unquote defensive guru that is Will Muschamp. And not only did you make an improvement, Marler, you ranked in the top 10 in the country in pass defense. Like, if you'd have told me that, I would have said you were off your rocker. I would have said you were crazy. And then credit Shane Beamer, man. You're talking about everything that just the way the season went. And I actually released an article yesterday or today, whatever, whenever this is dropping, 
uh, the top five moments of the season. It's just wild to see how things played out yeah. this year from Parker White's game winner at ECU to Zeb Nolan's heroics to save the season against Vandy to Dak Joyner doing he did in the belt or the Mayo's Bowl. Excuse me. God forbid, call it the, May- the belt bowl, the Mayo Bowl, uh, the scoop and score against Florida. I mean, the, the Auburn tip off the knee to, to seal that one to get punch bowl eligibility. But Here's the thing. I picked this team to go six and six in the preseason, right? I, I didn't think making a bowl game was unrealistic. I thought the right. over under preseason win total of three and a half. I thought it was disrespectful. Like, I, I understand, okay, like new coaching staff lose a lot. I thought it was disrespectful, but I thought the game cops would go six and six with a healthy Luke Doty. If you would have told me yeah. that a graduate assistant who wasn't even on the roster going into fall camp would have started a ton of games, and even when Luke Doty played, by the way, he wasn't healthy, and then an FCS transfer in Jason Brown, all due respect to him, but if if you would have told me the quarterback situation, how it shook out, and four different guys would have started at quarterback this year, I would have told you this was a 3-9 and or 4-8 and team, no doubt, because of all the other deficiencies, and to top it all off, you couldn't run the football worth a damn, which was supposed to be your strength. So when you look at the offensive woes and the fact they finished 116th in the country nationally in defense or in offense, excuse me. Again, the thing that jumps out the most is Clayton white and what that defense did, because without them, this team certainly is nowhere near a bowl game. Um, And then, like I said, you know, when you go six and six, Marler, which you you can't relate because Alabama hadn't gone six and six hey, in like listen, seventeen 2004 years. Was not that long ago, right? Yeah, two thousand four wasn't that long ago. My ass. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, I was thirteen years old, by the way. So just just to give some, perspective. I was thirty eight, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The good old days. The good old days. Um, nah. So I mean, but when you go six and six, you can. It's really kind of the eye of the beholder, right, Marler? You you can look at the season glass half full or glass half empty because. You know, there were a lot of fans out the season. Well, if we just had a competent offensive coordinator, you know, Satterfield caught all I the blame that, this yeah. year, which, which I understand. Listen, he's the OC. You finish 116th in offense. You can't run the ball, which was a strength last year. I totally get it, right? They're getting paid lots of money. They deserve any criticism they get. But after the season, you know, there were two ways of looking at it. You could have said, oh, this stunk, this stunk, and this stunk, and they should have done this, and they should have done that, and we could have went eight and four or nine and three. My pushback was this. How about looking at glass half full? This was never an eight and fourteen. That that was what really scared me going in the season of people saying, "Oh man, we got a new coach." You know, the honeymoon phase. Oh, I think uh, we could go eight and four. And unrealistic expectations that all and fucking I, fans and SEC fans, especially, right, have. right. Everybody does it. It's not just game guys. Everybody does it when it's talking season. We all have hopes and aspirations. That's why, honestly, the preseason is one of my favorite times of year because everybody has hopes of, you know, I went to the welcome home tour and Shane Beamer saying this, saying that, and I told my buddy mm-hmm. leaving. I was like, that was fun. But I'm not going to get carried away because every coach at every school is doing exactly what he just right. did, selling the program that we're going to win a title this year or whatever, whatever the case may be. But I looked at it as instead of trying to come down on these coaches and say, oh, this should have happened, that should have happened, let's give credit where credit's due to, hey, how about Shane Beamer and Marcus Satterfield pulling the strings to – elevate a Zeb Nolan from a GA to quarterback to, I mean, without Zeb Nolan, no chance you get to six wins this year. Right. So what a great decision that was. If my only, yeah, my only thing is this though, if you want to critique and criticize and have that energy, have the same energy when it's a job well done. You see what I'm saying? So it wasn't a perfect season by no stretch, but all things accounted for even just the quarterback situation to get this team to six wins and then win a bowl game. 
how can you not give Shane Beamer an A-plus for the job done this year? And again, I know the rivalry game at the end of the year left a really bad taste in people's mouths. I still think Clemson's defense is elite. And you're nowhere near the talent level, the Clemson's, the Georgia's, right. the A&M's. We saw that on the field this season. But, you know, for what was expected of this football team, and again, that was with a healthy Luke Doty, what was expected to go 6-6 six and six to win your bowl game as well over – you know, a fairly solid UNC team. Granted, their defense wasn't good, but to hold they Sam Howell. They didn't have a lot of opt-outs. I mean, right, right, they exactly. were fully healthy. You can't use the card of, oh, well, UNC didn't want to be there. Well, Sam Howell was playing, so mm-hmm. they obviously wanted to win. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly, man, when I look at best case, worst case scenario when it came to the Gamecocks, you know, first season under Shane Beamer, again, when you take everything into account, I think they got the absolute most out of this roster and what they had to work with. So, again, job well done. And that's why you're sitting here today with all this momentum. And you're able to lure in a guy, I think, like a Spencer Rattler or an Austin Stockton. You know, do you really think those guys want to come to South Carolina if you went three and nine or four and eight? I was fucking shocked. I doubt it. I went there. Like, like I mean, I I knew it was impossible because the Beamer connection, but I'll be honest with you, man. It was. It was definitely something where it was like it was surreal because it it was one of those moves too where it's like I feel like South Carolina we're always very passive we're not making the aggressive decision you know, I'd always joke with buddies like Lane Kiffin got hired at Ole Miss I was like we'd never do that you know what I mean like right. our administration be like oh my God he said this one time or he you did hired this, Will or, fucking Muschamp well I'm just like <laughs> I feel like we're always so passive it's like it was great to see South Carolina be the team you know said right. you know what. Fuck it. We know some people might disagree with this, but we're going to take a risk anyways and roll the dice. Because the way I looked at it is like, he's going to go somewhere. It might as well be here where we need a quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, again, job well done by Shane Bieber and that entire staff. Like I said, I think the thing that really jumps out to you is Clayton White, the defensive staff. Uh, Justin Stepp, also, I want to give him credit, the wide receiver coach who came from Arkansas. He did an incredible job with the Gamecocks wide receivers. Didn't have a ton to work with, but what he got out of Josh Van, I think, this year, Jesus. Jean Bell as playmakers, uh, and Josh Van being a guy that, again, I mean, had done nothing in his entire career. And the funniest clip, one of the funniest moments of the season, Marlon, you might remember this, is when South kind of played at Georgia, of course, we lost the game, and then postgame, Will Muschamp went into Josh Van and said, oh, you know – you're getting the, or you're, you're, you're making plays now. What's going on? Josh Van's like, yeah, coach, they're throwing me the ball. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's yeah, like, he had like what he did three for all, uh, three catches for 127 yards. I mean, yeah, he scored like, Georgia defense. Went off, went off, yeah. like 50 a catch. Yeah. It was nuts. But uh, I mean, yeah, and I tell yeah. you what, like, we'll, and we'll transition into like the recruiting part of it because that's, that's honestly the part. Well, I, mean, I, I say that's the part that surprised me the most because mm. I've always just kind of sat here and I've probably been even way more down on Carolina than, than, I've, I've admitted in the past or even looked at or like, you know, way more pessimistic than you because it almost, when you look at like the, the window of, of opportunity they had to be successful, it seems like you just brought up like how they kind of maximize the potential of this roster. That's kind of how I felt like that program kind of caught, not lightning in a bottle, but you had Spurrier as your coach. You had these like series of fucking eight, eighth year senior bald quarterbacks that were just like some like super gritty and somehow athletic um, and then on top of that, you, you talk about like you get Clowney coming out of the state. That, that is not a very like talent rich state for recruiting. And you get Clowney, Lattimore, Stefan Gilmore, like all those kind of guys. It's it's very it was surprising to me to see South Carolina even be in the mix for so many like highly talented guys coming out of high school, like for them to have the recruiting class they did in year one um, and to go out and get a guy like Rattler. The ceiling for that. When you're when you're going to be in the same division, I mean, let alone the conference, with a division with Kirby Smart and now Billy Napier, like, 
where do you see that going? Like, does the momentum continue? Because again, you don't get to just go in your backyard and pick out all that talent there in South Carolina. You got to go all over and try to kind of make shit happen. Well, yeah, and when, when he was there the last time, obviously, Rattler, you're talking, or not Rattler, Marler, you're talking about uh, when he was there under Spurrier. I mean, that run of talent in the state of South Carolina was unprecedented. I mean, I don't think you'll ever yeah. see that again. We saw the Gilmores, the Lattimores, the, the, Fucking hope not. the Clownies, the Jeffries. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was insane. All that, all that homegrown talent, if you will. But what's been so impressive to me, just speaking on the recruiting class right now, because right now they're ranked 20th, I believe, in 24-7. Mm-hmm. And where will they finish up? You know, they're still about a month and a half or so to go, or a month or so, whatever, whenever it ends. Um, you know, my goal was a top 25 class. Obviously, that last year class, whatever, they signed 13 guys as transfer portal guys. And Shane Beamer had, what, two weeks or three weeks to do a job that coaches yeah. have been doing for three or four years. You, you can't judge that as his first class. So in his first full class, I said, hey, you can finish top 25. I think that's a victory for you. What's the ceiling? You know, I, I think it's kind of the chicken or the egg conversation where it's like, what comes first? Well, yeah, I, ironically enough, yeah, no pun intended. But what comes first? Winning a lot of games and then elite prospects when it come to your school? Right. Or do you have to go get the elite prospects first and then you start winning a lot of games? Because I think the best players want to go where you're winning games, right? I mean, yeah. there aren't many five stars that want to go play for – for Rutgers, uh, no, State. no offense, Jackson any Rutgers State, fans, yeah. Jack, yeah, Jackson State, right for sure. Um, <laughs> no, so I mean, I, you know what they did when he was there the last time, though they were, you know, I've said this many times on my own airwaves. You got to be two things at South Carolina to be the head coach in recruiting. You got to be a master talent evaluator, and you got to be a master talent developer. And I actually had uh, someone on the Gamecocks football staff. I was talking recruiting with them. This was back over the summer of 2020, and I asked him, you know, when it comes to stars, when it comes to recruiting rankings. You know, what do you make of it all? He said, Chris, here's the thing. The top 100 recruits, those are kind of your no-brainer guys, like basically everyone that Alabama signs. Those are your no-brainer guys. Then when you get the difference in recruiting is identifying the 250th best player versus the 600th best player. They might both be three stars, but identifying which guy fits our system, which guy fits our scheme, which guy can we develop, is this kid overrated, is this kid overlooked, and so I think that's where South Carolina, you, saw, you started getting the, the DJ Swearingers of the world, the Travian Robertson, the Melvin Ingrams of the world. You started getting the Connor Shaws and the Dylan Thompsons. And we've seen and it before person, with Coach yeah. Simpson and Sidney Rice. Jalen Foster was a freaking walk-on, for goodness gracious, and tied for the lead in the SEC in interception. So, you know, the way this staff was able to develop talent, um, and I do agree with you, Marlon, he might be a little bit of ahead, ahead of schedule when it comes to recruiting momentum. And what's been so impressive to me in this 2022 class is – they're not relying on the state of South Carolina. I mean, don't get me wrong. They want to get in-state kids and, you know, put a fence up around the state. Right. Dude, they're going to Texas. They're going to Pennsylvania. They're going to Florida, Georgia, obviously. But they're going to – they're going all over the country. They're going to Delaware. I mean, I've never seen a sign. So many guys from Delaware. Delaware. It makes no sense. It's like hey, I've said this. How many times have I said this? This is where my ex-ex was from is Delaware. And they just fucking mine that entire state. It's, it's a very it's a very underrated state. I'll yeah, say but that. We, we, we got Braden Davis, the quarterback from Delaware, which, by the way, I wanted to bring this up because you brought up quarterbacks, Marlon. I think the Gamecocks still have the whitest quarterback room in college football with the bachelors hey, on right now. You you, you add you add Tanner Bailey, God. Braden Davis, Luke, Braden. Doty, Colton Gothier, And Spencer Rattler. We just got to add to carry on joiner to the quarterback room so he can throw a little wrinkle in there. But okay. I mean, do you, do you looking back <laughs> and, then, and season, then you had and then you had Zeb Nolan and Jason Brown. So Jason Zeb Brown Zeb was just we, Jason oh. Brown might be the winner. <laughs> oh, no, but, but Marler made the joke last time I was on here. We have the whitest quarterback room. Yeah. It's kind of funny because they're all like the most basic names. 
you know, like our, our quarterbacks have been Jakes and Connors. And I mean, they, you know, we, you know, we, we, we've never had a right Stevens, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't, I don't know why I don't, uh, you know, got a strong name, got a real strong name. That's why we looking were at, looking at just, I know hindsight's 2020, 20, but just <laughs> playing devil's advocate here. Dakari and Joyner was incredible in the, in the, in the, the Mayo Bowl, right? Incredible. I, I mean, nine for nine for one sixty. You you couldn't. I, I'll tell you this because uh, that's that's what everybody's asking after the bowl game, right? Because everybody tipped the cap to Marcus Satterfield, and I did as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, this guy must really want an extension. Here's the thing: on a week in week out basis, would that scheme, the way they devised that game plan, would that have worked? In my opinion, no. Right. I think what you saw with a month to prepare for a bowl game, you caught UNC completely off guard. And I'm not trying to take anything away from on Joyner because God bless the kid. He's been here forever. His talent was completely mismanaged by the previous staff. They didn't know what to do with him. Didn't even know what they oh. wanted to do with him. Didn't know what they wanted to do with him. And so for him to get his shot, that's why I listed it as one of the best moments of the season, man, because, you know, there's, there's few guys that Gamecock fans were pulling harder for to have a great game than to carry on joiner, a kid that um, has had ample opportunity to transfer. I even I have even said it, it's like it's probably in his best interest to transfer. And he stuck it out, said, I want to be a gamecock. I love being at the University of South Carolina. And he gets his opportunity and he shines. Again, though, I, I look at it from the sense of, you know, could you do that on a weekend, week out basis against SEC defenses? I, I don't tend to think so. Um, could he be a good enough passer consistently enough against SEC defenses to win games? I don't think so. So I think it was kind of like the 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 perfect scenario, if you will, like I said, where it's, yeah. it's it's kind of a weird thing with the bowl game. UNC's defense wasn't very good. I mean, again, this is me taking nothing away from what just happened in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, right. but UNC's defense wasn't good. They were averaging giving up like 32 points per game, so we knew something had to give. Uh, but it was a fantastic game plan. I mean, the, and the way that on Joyner obviously executed, I think played the game of his life. But, uh, you know, they've got that. That's, that's something, that's a question I posed on social media a couple of days ago. This offensive staff and to carry on Joyner himself have to figure out what the game plan is moving forward because he obviously has a skill set. Obviously, we just saw it. So even another fucking year, he's got another year. He's got another year. <laughs> so what do you do with him? Do you just throw him back out at wide receiver? I mean, obviously Spencer Rattler. Let's remove all drama. He's the starting quarterback. Let's let people were asking me, do you think Dak Joyner could compete for QB one? I'm like, guys, no, Christ. no. I mean, I understand like. In coaching and, and in the locker room, listen, they're going to promote competition, which is good. They should. But we have the luxury of we don't have to pretend, right? We, we, we can just call it for what it is. Spencer Rattler's QB1. He, he didn't come here to sit the bench, God forbid, or whatever. So do you put Dak Joyner back out at wide receiver? Do you slide him to running back? Do you use him in wildcat? I mean, what do you do with him? You know what I mean? So I think that's something that both parties like to figure out. But, uh, you know, yeah, seeing what he did in the bowl game, man, was absolutely incredible. But, but yeah, back to the recruiting side, man, like I said, just – the momentum they built up going, not being limited to in the state, because I got a really good buddy of mine. I will not name him by name, but he works for Georgia, believe it or not. And I had this conversation with him. I mean, he works deep in Georgia football. And I asked him, I said, you know, how important is he? And everybody says, put a fence up around the state. How important is that really? He said, Chris, obviously we want to keep the top guys in our state home. But when we go recruit, we're trying to go get the 25 best football players that are going to help us win games. We don't give a damn where you're from. And so that's why I kind of like, you know, I'm so glad that Shane Beamer has this diverse recruiting background because of him being at Oklahoma and these different schools. Like, he's not going to just be limited to the Southeast. If there's a really good player like Atlanta Sampson in Texas, 
We're going to go get him. And the other thing I love, too, is that Shane Beamer has attacked the transfer portal. I made this point before. I don't know how many of those upstate crayon eater, mouth breather fans, maybe you have them listening, tuning. I have no idea. But you got one coach in Columbia that embraces the NIL, embraces the future of college football. He embraces the transfer portal. Thinks guys should have the opportunity to make their own decisions for themselves, better the futures. Then you got another coach in the upstate who all he does is bitch and moan about the way college football is. He's, he's the grumpy old guy in the room. Says, I'll never go to the transfer portal. Hey, if, 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 you don't, if you don't make an official visit, we're not even going to offer you. You can't even commit here. Just is a complete dick about the realities that are college football. One of those two coaches will succeed. And it's Shane yeah. Beamer in Columbia. Bottom line. So I'm, I'm at least happy that we've got a football coach that is willing to adapt and change the times. You don't have to like it. You don't have to. But if you can't recruit to it and you can't coach to it, then you can't win. And that's not me saying that Clemson's going to win six games next year or going to completely crumble, fall apart, which we all hope they do. But, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very happy that Shane Beamer, like I said, he I feel like he's not limited. He's going out of the state of South Carolina, out of the Southeast, going to the transfer portal. They're just trying to get the best possible players. Hey, he saw the opportunity with Spencer Rattler. He didn't wait around. He said, come play for us. You're going to make us better. So I, I, uh, I'm i happy to see a, a coach that attacks that way, and he understands the value behind the University of South Carolina, what it can be, and it obviously shows in, in, in the in the way he's recruited thus far. Before we right, wrap last up. Last question here. We're going to yeah, we're yeah. Gonna wrap it up here. Uh, this has been great, man. We appreciate it. Um, you, besides you and Laura Doyle, I don't know anyone that knows uh, Gamecock football better. Um, I mean, that girl might be giving you a run for your money, but she's winning our bowl <laughs> pool, by the way, right now. Very nice. No big deal. Nice. Um, no big deal. But yeah, so so just closing out here, and, and I, just give me a realistic answer here, um, as you usually do, because I think success for South Carolina can honestly be measured by like season. Like you don't want to go six and six every year, right? Like you got to keep right. raising the bar. Eight nine wins, I think, is a successful year. I don't know if you're going to beat Georgia consistently. I don't. I don't know if you know if that's going to happen or if you're going to beat Florida consistently. Um, you guys apparently own Auburn, which I love. Um, but if <laughs> didn't you beat them, sub- didn't beat them for like 80 years. And then we've beaten them back to back seasons since 1933, man. Um, no, but so, but I think like what would be, especially in the eyes of, of Carolina fans would be even more successful in quotes mm-hmm. is being able to turn the rivalry back into y'all's mm-hmm. favor in, in state against, against Clemson. Um, I mean, you guys had like the five years in a row, uh, you know, you beat them when, uh, when Spurrier was there realistically when, mm-hmm. If or when do you think they could they can change the way that rivalry has gone? Not just like mm-hmm. you know making games close, but being able to start winning on a consistent basis in that rivalry. That's a great question, and that's the one I, I think know. that really yes. yeah that's and that's why you asked it right now. That that's the one that really uh, that irks Gamecock fans because you see what your your rival to the what Northwest and to the West or however directions work. You see what Georgia and Clemson are doing. You see what Georgia and Clemson are doing, right? And especially Clemson with a seven game losing streak, especially the way they've beaten you. The games hadn't even close. I will say what's a really interesting storyline. And I'm not saying the Gamecocks going to win the game this year in death Valley in 2022 matchup, but for the first time since 2013, South Carolina is going to have the better quarterback. I mean, how long is it? Has it been since we could say that? I think realistically to get on a level where you are near equal with them talent wise, it's going to take a few years. It's going to take, in my opinion, two to three more recruiting classes at minimum to just build that competitive depth. If you will. Now that's not to say you can't beat them. Hey, like I said, the beauty of adding a guy like a Spencer Rattler is when you have a guy like that, you have a game changing quarterback. He gives you the ability, the opportunity to beat anybody. I mean, 
Alabama's seen it in the games that they've gotten beaten or upset. Like, you normally do. that team had a great QB and just played their asses off. And or it was, Zach hey, Calzada. Or Zach Calzada <laughs> happened, right? I mean, so it, it happens. When you have that gunslinger under center, weird things can happen. Right. Um, but realistically, to get back to, you know, turning that rivalry, as you're saying, and, and make it much more competitive. Because I, I think even on both sides, man, you know, over the summer, you know, we there was a local brewery here that had like a – a training camp event where they had guys from both Carolina and Clemson. And I actually got to meet Taj Boyd. Taj is actually a good buddy of mine. Taj Boyd's an awesome yeah. dude. I will say that. And, you know, he's even said, and other guys that I know that have said, you know, we just, we want the rivalry to get back to being fun and competitive again. Cause 30 to nothing's not fun for it. Really anybody, believe it or not. I mean, it's, it's fun to stomp your rival, but like that Auburn Alabama game this past season, bro, that was a classic. That was a classic. Now that was it's not, a lot more. No, well, that was whatever. not fun it's a lot at all. More, it, well, right. But, I mean, for the college football fan, I guess it was fun. But either way, getting this rivalry back to back and forth and more competitive competitiveness. Yeah, I think to get the roster back to that point, um, it's probably going to take, you know, I know, I know fans hate to hear it, but it's going to probably take two to three more recruiting classes to realistically build that competitive depth. And that's also to compete with the Georgias of the world, because both those schools are just on a completely different planet right now. Right now, like, and I said again, hopefully Clemson is on the descent. I'm not going to bank on it, but hopefully that's the case. I want to get back, though, Marlo, to something you said really quickly, and I don't, I don't want to ramble on too long because you were asking about realistic expectations, and I feel like you were kind of hinting at realistic expectations for the Gamecocks football program as a whole on a year-in, year-out basis. And I, I, I think most South Carolina fans would agree with me. This is what I've said, and I've said this many times. If over the course of a decade, South Carolina could average seven to eight wins yearly, and every, let's say, Two to three years, they either have the right quarterback, they have a veteran team, the schedule works in their favor, maybe, God forbid, the East is down. Let's say every three years, realistically, you are competing with Georgia to go to Atlanta. I mean, if you can do that, I mean, like if you could average eight and four over the course of a decade, Shane Beamer's the greatest coach in school history. And I think that's actually very doable. I think it's very doable. But I, I think that's realistic for South Carolina football. Once you get to that point, then you can start worrying about taking the next step. But you got to walk where you can run. I mean, you tell me is that is that is that overshooting? I, I don't think that is at all. I think it's not overshooting on a yearly basis. Not, right, right. I think, that's, I think that's on a yearly basis. I think that's that's on average. I think that's very realistic. And like I said, every three years or so, again, you've got the team, and maybe you got Georgia at home, and they're struggling at QB. They for some reason. And Kirby Smart's 50th year, still starting to fucking walk on at quarterback. I have no right. idea why. But maybe maybe you get them, and you know what I'm saying? Like, it, the, the breaks go your way. I think that's very possible. Is, is South kind of going to win 11 games three years in a row again? I doubt it. I, I just don't think right. so. You know what I mean? I, and can it happen? We've seen it already happen, so maybe so. Maybe Shane Beamer is the next coming of Nick Saban, but more realistically, if you can sustain – Success. Hey, eight and four is a fun season. I, I know it's not for a team like Alabama, but speaking speaking as a Gamecock, I'm telling you right now, speaking as someone who creates content around the Gamecocks, man, it, going eight and four would be so much fun, Marlon. Because you've won some, you've won some big games. You've probably right. beaten your rival at least every other year. So I, I think that is realistic for Gamecocks football. And then again, when you get to that point, like I was talking about earlier, no pun intended, and recruiting the chicken or the egg situation. And that's why honestly getting Rattler here when people talk about Oh, what's success for Rattler in 2022? You right. can talk about stats or wins or whatever, but Marler, here's the thing: him getting drafted, that success. You know why? Gamecocks haven't had. Bringing other kids. 
The Gamecocks haven't had a quarterback selected in the oh, NFL yeah. draft since 1989 when Todd Ellis was taken. So you get Bam. Spencer Rattler to the draft. Let's just say, let's say he's a second rounder. Let's say he doesn't throw for a bazillion yards. Let's just say he's a second. Either way, he got drafted. It opens right. the door up to more big time quarterbacks saying, oh, well, I can go to South Carolina and flourish and, and get picked up and you know, go win championships and achieve everything else I want to achieve. Cause you got to have that guy understand. That's what South Carolina has lacked. So really since Connor Shaw left and all due respect to Dylan Thompson, but since 13, 14, they just really haven't had that big time guy. So yeah, I, listen, things are definitely trending in the right direction to Shane Beamer. And I, I think he can get South Carolina to those heights that I mentioned, you know, getting to that on average eight and four type of year. And then again, once you get there, then you can say, okay, now what do we have to do to take the next step? Because as you know, Marler, everybody wants to be Alabama, man. Everybody wants yeah, to win duh. 12 games. Yeah, yeah, duh, whatever. Everybody wants Every to have just massive obesity and terrible education <laughs> rates. All right, listen, I we got to do – we I still got to record a whole other episode of the uh, – a whole other part of the last, podcast, last, so we got to do the bowl thing, recap. Two, two, th two things real quick. Okay. I saw, a I saw a TikTok that the guy said, where I'm from, the people that I know – or that all – you know, a lot of the people I know around me are Alabama fans. The other people went to college. That's the first <laughs> okay. thing. That's My good. second thing before I let you go, Marler. Hey, this has been a pleasure. I do appreciate you. Don't you free fucking chips, say anything about queso. Georgia. Free chips. <laughs> oh, free dude. I appreciate that, bro. You know, I, I got you. You know, I got you. Thanks, I will man. say I did pick Georgia to win the national championship, but I would love to be wrong. I, I, I yeah. hate Georgia. So I hope Same more things about my dogs. Fuck Georgia. Yeah, it's fine. Free chips, free queso. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. We appreciate it. And, um, and, and uh, you know, be well in the wait, new year. Wait, wait, wait. What about the new – drop the new gear. Is that, oh, yeah, is that going that. on yet? Yeah, that's on the site, tsus.store, Beamer Rattler 22. We've also got the QB1 merch. That's literally, we've got this chicken logo with like an afro with the bandana on, like he rocks. So, love that. On a new merch, man, tsus.store. We're rocking and rolling, man. Like I said, Beamer Ball to the moon, baby. Don't sleep on us. Beamer Ball love to the moon. It. Thanks for coming. All right, bro. We'll get at you soon. We appreciate it. Appreciate y'all. Much love, boys. Y'all take care. <laughs>